There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Well, Mr Hockey, Lord William, what's been happening this week? Well, we've started off the show in the last few weeks by saying not a lot, and obviously that was tongue-in-cheek. And certainly this week there's been you know plenty to talk about. I think the show this week could last for two hours. Well, I hope not. Because I've got my messages to go, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've got to touch on the leadership, but I think it's good, Willie, because we can look at it from a business point of view. How do you feel the leadership campaign is going? We have always agreed, probably the only thing that we've agreed about in the last couple of years is that whoever is running the country, they have to have you know a major focus on economic growth. And of all the candidates, the person I would say that was most likely to lead on that would be Kate Forbes. And that's obviously been proven to be correct this week. Yep. What's really interesting, and you would have seen it, is the polls within SNP supporters are also stating that the cost of living crisis and economic growth, because they go both hand in hand, as a number one priority. And I'm absolutely delighted that that is a number one priority of the supporters of the SNP. Yeah, so this was a poll come out from the big partnership. 1,001 SNP voters asking what they thought. And there's obviously been some controversy last week, but Kate Forbes was was still ahead of um, Humza. Ash Reagan was a very distant third um, from that point of view. But I was really encouraged as well in that people, they were asked to rank, Willie, what was important to them, cost of living crisis, economy, health and education. And actually, the, the, the independence question came quite far down because I think that will come. But we've got to put our country on a firm footing economically before we can even think about that. And some people will argue, oh, well, independence is the answer to that. Independence in the short term is not the answer to that. That's what I would say um, from an economic point of view. Whoever's in power has got to show competence, Willie. And so far, 15 years of an SNP government, the competence on the economy, I'm afraid, has not been there. What do you think? Well, I think, to be fair, I don't think Labour done too well before them either. <laughs> oh, listen, right? listen, right. I, I think they're all incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the whole devolution, since time of devolution, we haven't covered ourselves in glory when it comes to economic growth. And I think that it's refreshing now that, that you know, that all the leaders, Anasarwar, Kate Forbes, you know, the first minister, to be fair, Nicholas Sturgeon, it, it never ever seemed like a priority for her. It was like as if everyone would take care of itself. And then, you know, when you have the disaster of launching your manifesto for your 10-year growth plan, 
and the following day your partners in crime, your pack with the Greens, well, they totally destroy it by saying they are completely against economic growth. So that that doesn't all go well for for for, for you know for what we're trying to do to grow the economy. So your point, it was interesting in that poll that I think it was just under sixty percent of SNP voters said they would still like a referendum within two years, but seventy five percent said they would prefer one within five years. And I think that the sensible people that are involved in the polls are saying to themselves, let's prove that it's economically viable. Because everyone's had their wake-up call over the last 18 months in relation to the cost-of-living crisis. So I think that poll is really, really interesting to give you a snapshot maybe of what the people... I'd be, I'd say it would be interesting to see if Labour done a poll this week to find what Labour um, supporters think to see if they were on a par with what some of the grassroots people are supporting the SNP think. But for me, what's really interesting, you know... Kate's obviously had a tumultuous start to her campaign, the controversy that went with it. But according to the poll, the only 5% of the SNP supporters thought that that was a barrier to her success. So that is really interesting. So what it looks like, you've got a potential leader who doesn't care about popular politics. She's actually in tune with what she thinks the people want, and that's what she's putting on a ticket. And up until now, with the latest poll, it looks as if she's called it right. Might be refreshing, Willie. Yeah. So you and I have been critical of the Green Party and their policies, the rent freeze, the non-eviction clause, which cheap headlines, bad policy, the deposit return scheme, just bad policy. But Tracy Black, the leader of the, the CBI in Scotland, has been in the Times this week talking about green growth. Now, I just want to make it clear that you and I believe in the green agenda. We just don't believe in the non-economic growth agenda. And what Tracy Black has been saying is that perhaps Scotland, and we've been saying it in the show for some time, should be leading on this, but regulation, red tape, other countries, particular America, has taken the policy initiative on this green growth. And you and I really want this transition to renewables from carbon fuels. Scotland should be leading the world in this, but we're not. So we've got Professor Sir Jim MacDonald coming in from Strathclyde University. He understands energy and I'm really looking forward to what he thinks Scotland should be doing to lead the world. What do you think, Willie? Yes, and it's it's not just about energy. What we need is, we, we don't need politicians who are voted in on a green ticket. Get voted in and then it's all about, you know, minor issues. There's no big thinking. And I, I would absolutely love it if the Green Party had some experts that are advising them on, the you know, the way to make a difference. But if you really want to make a difference, the way is to get a timeline that is achievable, if anyone thinks we can get to carbon neutral tomorrow, and some of the people that pretend to be carbon neutral, if you if you look at what they're saying, as you'll find a lot of it is not true, right? So I would say that what you mentioned, Jim McDonald, with the people like Bob Keller, yep. right? There's really clever people out there who could certainly help us, and I honestly believe that Scotland could be at the forefront of driving the whole you know green agenda, but we just need some clever people leading it. So. I've had a busy week last week, Willie. I was searching for good news, as you know I always do. It was a bit harder to find this week, but I saw that the McFarlane Group, 
they were up um, 7% and they're making almost £20 million profit. It's bouncing back for them. And the McFarlane group, as you know, was led by the brilliant Lord McFarlane. Yeah. And um, I was over at Kelvin Grove last week because when Kelvin Grove was getting refurbished, I got the phone call from Norman to say, Tom, could you come for lunch? So it was something you never turned down. <laughs> but there was always going to be an ask. I used to call him the smiling assassin. And um, so I went to lunch and he said, Tom, I'm, I'm leading the Kelvin Grove refurbishment. And I said, oh, Norman, that's great. But, you know, I know nothing about art or museums and, you know, it's just not my cup of tea. He said, Tom, you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up doing the the Campbell Hunter Education Wing after my dear old dad. But last week, we updated the centre and our brief to the people there was to make it accessible to kids. So let the kids design how they want to consume a museum. And I must tell you, I was blown away when I went there because this was designed by the kids for the kids. Bella Houston Academy was brilliant in designing this and I and I walked round and the kids took me round and it's open to the public now it's still free Glasgow Life is making this free of charge I don't know anywhere else in the world that's doing that if you can get along Willie my stories Kelvin Grove Campbell Hunter Education Wing that's my plug for the week <laughs> brilliant well I was I didn't intend to plug this but Will you've brought it up and you're talking about kids let me tell you about so a wee initiative that I've been involved in. And so the listeners can find out about, you know, how we're thinking of the future here. Um, I've been a member of Kafkin Bray's Golf Club for, I think, over 30 years now. And, and up at Kafkin, we have this wonderful practice range, huge expanse of, of lovely land. But unfortunately, the way it was designed, if three people were on the practice ground, then no one else could go on it because, you know, your ball was getting mixed up with all of that stuff, right? <laughs> so I spoke to the, the captain in the committee up at Kafkin and I said to him, listen, if I was to build uh, an academy here, if I was to build you a bona fide driving range on the basis that what it was for was so that we could get local kids and for free lessons, free golf clubs, you know, let's get the kids from Tory Glen, Rutherglen, Campus Lang, Casamilk. But the whole idea was to, you know, to generate interest among kids who maybe couldn't afford it, get them along for lessons. And to be fair to Kafkin Bray's, we started that project about 18 months ago and we completed the driving range just a, a couple of months ago. Brilliant. Right, but but uh, so the reason why I'm telling you is to tell you a funny story. <laughs> I always like your right. funny stories. So well. two weeks ago... Is this had, a true story? They had the This is a true story. <laughs> they had the first intake of kids. Right. Okay? So 30 kids from a local community all came along for their first lessons. Right. And Stevie Bree, the pro, and young Alan, the assistant, were over there, you know, the kids, and as usual, they were trying to hit as many golf balls as they could as fast as they could. Didn't matter where they went. Anyway, the, 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 the funny story is that this gentleman there had brought his grandson, uh -huh. who was about seven years old, and he had one golf club, right? And after practicing with the balls, he went across to the pro shop, where in the pro shop you've got all the stuff you can buy, you know? So his granddad was talking to Stevie for a while, you know, the pro, and saying, oh, blah, 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 it's great, we've got the centre, it's fantastic. And the wee boy sat there, stood there, you know, really quiet, and right at the end, he had one golf club, and he said to Stevie, excuse me, when do I get a suitcase for my golf club? 
pointing to the gold bags. So from the mouth of babes. I hope but, you bought my suitcase. Well, Willie. but I hope through your initiative and our initiative that a lot of kids in Glasgow can, you know, can maybe get their their horizons opened. Right. Well, that's that's good news for this week, Willie. Talking about great ideas. Yeah. I read a fantastic idea. Obviously, it's now been implemented by uh, by by France. Uh, a leading entrepreneur went to Emmanuel Macron and said to him, if you want to take on the big textiles of London and Frankfurt and all these other places, we have to do more for the space. Where is the space for them to grow? Where's the incubators? And he went about and he looked for a premises and he found an old rail yard, mm -hmm. right? The, the glass roof, huge, huge space. And what he decided, he went back to the government and says, if you help set this up as a huge office space, then we will encourage the new startup tech stars to come here. You want to see it, Tom. It is out of this world. Wow. And this is a perfect idea. Is of, this in Paris, Willie? It's in Paris. It's our old rail yard. And we're saying here, it's about big ideas, getting through, resonating with the politicians that make uh, you know decisions. And what they've done is created this wonderful space. And I've got no doubt that that will help France grow their tech space. Well, I'm going to go to Paris and see this and steal it for Scotland, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> right, here's the bad news. Oh, dear, Willie. In the Scottish government, all the things that we are talking about, you know, the cuts are affecting, there's no doubt that they're affecting enterprise, they're affecting apprenticeships. You know, Mark? Again, in this week, we had Peter Sheeran, the head of Scottish Engineering, saying that, although there's some good news about apprenticeships, there has to be something done about the funding for meaningful, you know, quality jobs. And I totally agree. Maybe we should get Peter on the show in a, in a few weeks to, to talk about that because engineering apprenticeships are really, really important. And I'm sure when Jim McDonald comes on that he will talk about that. So some of the cuts, you know, there's, there's cuts to the, you know, the, the Skills Development Scotland, to Scottish Enterprise. I think it's been slashed by £57 million. So this this... This is not the right road and it's not the right place to make cuts. No, Billy, I, I'm, you know, if, if I had any hair, I'd be tearing it out. We are, we, we are still waiting at Scottish Edge, which you know is a wonderful thing. It's independently assessed and it produces more of a multiplier than any other initiative in the enterprise section. And we're still waiting to hear if the government's going to give us the money. You know, they can waste money trying to build two ferries, which they can't finish and is now more expensive than the whole Scottish Parliament building, but they can't give a relatively small amount into Scottish Edge. I'm, I'm really hoping that we get good news on that and I can announce it next week. So if anybody's listening with any power, gears the money. Get your shoulder behind it. On 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 the negative side of stories... <laughs> Sticking with the negative. Yes. Uh, I watched with interest this week the... Uh, political shenanigans at Glasgow Council when the Labour group marched out of the chamber on the discussion about the new budget. Right, in, I haven't seen that. Right, in protest to the slashing of the budget, okay. And I'm saying that there is better ways, right, of that to demonstrate that things could be much, much better. Councils are having to make cuts. So we're reading this week that the leisure time in some of the centres is going to be cut again. You know, we might be cutting the lollipop men, lollipop women, you know. Where is all the big thinkers about how you generate 
cash, more cash for local authorities. We've talked about it in the past, about Manchester and what they're doing. Come on, where's all the people in Glasgow that are clever? Where's, why does... Here's a message to Amory. Amory, get some people in a room, find out if there's any better ideas about how you can actually generate cash rather than slashing and cutting jobs and times for people. Yep. Well, on a positive note then, Willie, we've been seeing some of the people on the scale-up programme down at Blair Estate over the past week with the finance directors of the companies in. And I must say... There's a quiet optimism about these companies, Willie. They're just getting on with it. They're not worrying about the things they can't control. They're worrying about the right things. And I must say, we're we're going to make a big announcement on the Go Radio Business Show in a couple of weeks about more help for these companies because they are the lifeblood of the Scottish economy and we're just getting on with it. Well, that's fantastic because we really need it. And I read a fantastic statement this week that says what we require at the moment is the intellectual fervent of the 1930s after the Great Depression. Were you born in the 30s? Well, no, just about a wee bit after that. And, and then what we need is we need to find clever ways of how we fund the ideas, which you're doing, obviously, we scale up. So when I read this, I thought, wow, this is exactly what we need. And obviously, the SMP supporters are telling Kate Forbes that's exactly what we need. So I think that um, although there were saying a lot of negatives here, if you get the right people talking about it, there is ways of creating more jobs in Scotland. There is a way of creating more finance, getting things moving. Let's get on with it. So... Our glasses half full on the Go Radio Business Show this morning, Willie. The Glasgow Chamber of Commerce update with Chief Executive Stuart Patrick on the Go Radio Business Show. Well, welcome back to our old friend, or not so old friend of the <laughs> of the station, Stuart Patrick. Good morning. Good morning. Looking forward morning. to the good news again. Thank you very much. Well, um, <clears throat> I spent last week in South Korea working on an initiative promoted by a UK government agency to bring UK and South Korean cities into economic partnership. Four UK cities have been matched with four South Korean cities. The idea is not a traditional twinning where cultural links tend to be more significant than economic. And of course, there's nothing wrong with expanding cultural ties at all. But for the Chamber, an explicit focus on forging economic relationships, which could grow trading links, investment and the sharing of talent, is especially attractive. Glasgow has been matched with the city of Daegu, South Korea's third largest city after Seoul and Busan and with a population of some 2.5 million. A manufacturing city concentrated in textiles, metals and machinery, it also happens to be the founding home of Samsung. Wow. Spending time with overseas counterparts always involves seeing yourself as others see you. And South Korea has a special resonance since, along with Japan starting in the 1950s, they developed shipbuilding centres that sounded the death knell for almost all civil shipbuilding on the Clyde. But now they too are facing the same challenges from China. Wow. The interest they showed in the transition Glasgow has made into a service sector economy with investments like the International Financial Services District, the role of our universities in supporting emerging technology industries and the engineering and life sciences, and our ability to attract and retain talent both through international students and by retaining our own young people all reinforce messages that we've been nurturing in our Glasgow business story. 
Shipbuilding still does remain an important part of Glasgow's story, and this month saw the planning permission granted for BAE Systems to build their £100 million shipbuilding hall over the existing wet basin at Govan. Together with a £15 million investment in an applied shipbuilding academy at Scotston to support the long-term development of the workforce, the new hall represents a vote of confidence in Clyde Shipbuilding and will improve the yard's productivity as they continue the work on the MOD programme for eight Type 26 frigates that will keep the workforce busy into the next decade. The importance of Glasgow's emerging industries in engineering and life sciences has been attracting senior attention. Former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, speaking at a recent Chamber event, recognised the potential of the city's work in the life sciences, and especially in precision medicine, which uses genetic profiling to customise treatments and improve patient outcomes. He described Glasgow as having all the ingredients to become one of the UK's economic superpowers. Precision medicine is one sector that features in the projects submitted for funding under the UK Government's Innovation Accelerator Partnership Programme. That programme has designated Glasgow, along with Greater Manchester and the West Midlands, as the three cities outside London best placed to turn academic research into commercial products and services. While we await final confirmation of the projects that will share a, a, a receive a share rather of the 33 million allocated to Glasgow, both George Freeman, Minister of State in the newly formed Department of Science, Innovation and Technology, and Professor Dame Ottiline Laser, uh, Chief Executive of UK Research and Innovation, have been in town meeting with the universities, business and city council officials involved in making Glasgow's Innovation Accelerator Partnership work. That work is showing the scale of private investment that could be released in commercialising research and engineering technologies and life sciences. The pipeline of projects is so strong that we will be lobbying for a second round of funding as soon as the first one is fully confirmed and announced. The Chamber has also been engaging with the most senior levels of the Scottish Government, including a member session with Deputy First Minister John Swinney. The recent decision on free ports, where the Clyde bid narrowly lost out to the bids from Edinburgh and from Ross and Cromarty, was a hot topic, as was the Scottish Government's current consultation on banning alcohol advertising. That meeting preceded the resignation of First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, and so we now await the result of the election of the next First Minister. Perhaps this will be an opportunity to reset relationships with the business community, and by far the most important first step would be to review the many policies that have set business nerves on edge. Ditching the proposed ban on alcohol advertising, delaying and reviewing the much-criticised deposit return scheme, and dropping the imposition of residential rent controls would be a good start. Other news includes the return to Glasgow Airport of the Emirates A380 on the 26th of March, increasing flight capacity to our Middle East and Asian markets, and the launch this week of the tickets for the UCI World Cycling Championships in August. Head to cyclingworldchamps.com to grab your seats. On your bike, Stuart. Stuart, that sounds like... <laughs> That's busy. That sounds like you had a meeting with John Swinney, you told him that all his policies were rubbish and the First Minister resigned. <laughs> what about work? And you were sent what to South work? Korea. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a very, very accommodating fellow, I have to say. He did. He, did, he listened very hard to all that was being said. And what so did he say? I'm going to sack the boss, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Would that we had such influence? You never know. <laughs> so on the, on the South Korea... Uh, you know, visit and obviously I read this week as well. Fantastic that um, I believe that BAE Systems are their, their order book is bilging, which is fantastic. And that investment and in, you know technology and in apprenticeships, and 
again, we keep mentioning that about people with big ideas and a passion. There is no doubt, God rest him, our old friend Vic Emery played a major part in saving that yard, putting it where it is today, and it's a great example of getting the right leader to with a passion to make something work. Well, of course, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, what Vic did to turn around the Type 45 programme at yeah. that time and put it back onto a profitable track for BAE, yeah. undoubtedly it was an important step in keeping both Clyde yeah. and Scotson alive for us. And on good ideas... Exclusive, both myself and Stuart made sure that the government knew about Vic when we had the whole problem with Ferguson Marine right at the start. Right. And we recommended them. I certainly recommended them, and I'm sure it would have backed up. That, so look, if you need someone, here is a guy who exactly who you need to do this. And unfortunately, decided to bring someone else in at £2 million a year or whatever, right? And it didn't work. But that is a great example Right, of, of what we've been portraying on the show for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it's not all bad news in the Clyde, Stuart? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely uh, not. And there's more to come, I think, in, yeah. in terms of the collaboration between all the various businesses that are still in ship repair and ship building on the Clyde, yeah. including Ferguson's, I have yeah. to say, uh, particularly around sharing skills and managing the infrastructure on the, li- uh, on the Clyde to improve uh, mutually to improve their productivity. So that's still to come. I think there's more work there. Yeah. Well, we mentioned earlier, you know, about about, um, unfortunately, we've read this week that because the accounts have not been filed for Ferguson Marine, it may, be, it may go into administration. So it may be this, maybe we might be talking in the next few weeks about how BAE see their expansion by taking over Ferguson Marine. Stranger <laughs> things have happened, You heard Willie. it here first. You heard it here first. Stuart, um, the city, we've talked about some of the things you know, in the past, you know, is, is, are we coming back to life? Is, is COVID gone? How's, how's the retailers doing? That's still a tough, a tough gig, I have to say. Um, we're still operating around about the 80 to 85% footfall in the city centre and uh, undoubtedly the issue is working from home. That There's no question that Glasgow is still lagging behind uh, in UK averages and UK averages lag behind world averages by some margin. So we are a bit of an outlier uh, when it comes to returning to the office. And we've actually... Uh, we've started a bit of work under the City Centre Task Force to understand why. What is it about Glasgow that is making it different? It's not about public sector per se, because we don't have any more or less. We're kind of average in terms of public sector jobs. Um, it's difficult to understand why the private sector haven't come back. Uh, sure, it's not numbers. difficult to understand when the First Minister tells you it's good to work from home. <laughs> Does, well, she may be do doing do people listen to the First Minister? Well, well, I can I tell you that uh, my HR people tell me it's, it's often quoted back to them when we try to get people <laughs> to come back to work. I'm just saying, Nicola, I'm just saying. <laughs> Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Alan Mahan, founder of Brewgooder. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. 
The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Alan Mahan, founder of Brewgooder. The company has been recognised as a B Corp Best for the World Brewery for three consecutive years. Alan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Willie. Delighted to have you. Alan, it's brilliant to see you. Long time no see. I know. It's been a minute, isn't it? You've been busy. Yes. So, you want to tell us a wee bit about the background, how Brewgooder got started and how you end up in this enviable position? Yeah, um, it's probably quite a, a long story, but I'll make it short enough for the radio. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it kind of started when I was 18 years old, came over to Glasgow, sort of picked my university course based on where the best bands were playing, and obviously okay. Glasgow's got a, a long tradition of that. Who was your favourite bands? Back in the day, I was a bit of an indie kid. It was like Block Party, Wild Beasts, Kings of Leon, and pretty much all of them, actually, in, right. in Glasgow at one one point or another. But I went through my university career, got to the end of it, loved my course, um, but didn't really have much on my sort of CV. You yeah. know, I had memories, but you can't really put that on an application to PwC. <laughs> so um, I decided to do some volunteering, did volunteering work through uni at sort of helping integrate refugees into Sight Hill, was playing football. So that wasn't really, you know, work. Um, so I decided to go away to Nepal when i just finished, so I was about 22. I was there, we were doing international development work, lots of sort of school and education stuff. But what I did that everyone tells you not to do is drink an unsafe water source. If you can't crack open the lead or if you can't, you know, put something in it to, to, to clean it, whenever I'm handed something on a building site and I drink it, you know, I think I'm invincible. Three months later, you know, I'm back in the UK with a parasite. So oh. I'll save the details. I'm sure it's a pre-watershed show. Um, but yeah, things weren't weren't working well for me. So I got to the point where I decided after getting a really easy prescription, within a week I was, was back to health, back to Glasgow actually. I decided I wanted to apply for lots of charity jobs. So spent lots of time putting together lots of different um, you know CVs and applications and getting just loads of rejections. And then I tried to apply for the government DFID program and that was a year of waiting to hear a, effectively a no. They were giving <laughs> my job to somebody from So Oxford. quick response. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're probably used to it. Um, but then, you know, I think a lucky thing happened. I ended up um, meeting Josh, uh, Little John from Social Bite, you know, sort of over a pint. And he offered me a job in what was then effectively a sandwich shop. And yeah. what the, you know, and I'm sure it probably needs no introduction, but the work that Social Bite was doing... For me, for my value set was just amazing. It was building a brand that was doing something that was was quite cool. So I went at that point from being a poor student to a poor graduate, but I traded <laughs> up in in two things really. First one was coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker, so going to buy the you know the best beans, you know, the best machine, all that sort of stuff was was probably my first treat to myself. But then I went on the craft beer journey like most 23, 24-year-olds do. And I just fell in love with the industry. Like, my friends were really, really passionate about it. And that's where you and I first met when yeah. at, with Josh at Social Bike. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, that's a, a really cool part of the story as well. Like, you know, we did the Scottish Business Awards. Yep. Brought George Clooney. Brought Amazing. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and Can you get any big names? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that was part of that whole journey, right? Like, I sort of looked at the Scottish business community and had access to people like yourselves, had access to, you know, people who could help mentor or shape, you know, my approach or get me connected into people, certainly um, in the early days. 
But I had this notion that actually I was given this remarkable opportunity where I'd been trusted and given a real tough apprenticeship. You know, it wasn't easy to do what we did, you know, put on those events. No, indeed. Do the stuff that we, you know, the pace at which Social Bite was doing. And I felt like I'd, I'd learned so much by starting that, you know, at 23. By 25, I was ready to at least start the small bits of my entrepreneurial journey. And I thought putting together, you know, water, which had obviously sort of touched my life. You know, I don't want to make too much of it. It wasn't like it was on my deathbed, but I did notice that, you know, there were people that were born the same day as me that never made it past their fifth birthday. And I think that kind of resonated with me. But then putting it together with something cool like beer, you know, inherently a, a really good social thing to, to do and to talk about when, when used responsibly, obviously. Um, and yeah, in 2016, with the help of yourself, a few other people we put together, um, what has now turned into the brew gooder um, that's still here and still doing really cool things in 2023. No, I think your, your story is really interesting for our listeners in that you set out to start your business not to make yourself or your family rich in terms of monetary value rich in another seam so tell the listeners a wee bit about that alan because i think it's really interesting yeah i don't know if it's a mixture of sort of naivety or just the way i was kind of brought up um you know when i was younger you know my my dad passed away when i was was quite young um and i was raised by my mom and my two sisters but they were a good bit older than me and i just grew up in this you know, loving scenario um, where I was told I was, I could do anything I wanted. You know, I was the best. It was not better than anybody else, but I was just, you know, going to it. And I watched my mom in particular just working careers, professions, sometimes two or three jobs to give me the quality of life that she would have wanted. Um, and she was always doing stuff for other people. So that kind of, you know, whether it was working in the NHS or volunteering or looking after, you know, giving respite care to kids and stuff. So I grew up with this set of values, I guess, that probably was ingrained in me from a very early age where it is actually a really valuable thing to work for the benefit of other people. And when I had the idea for Brugger, you know, lots of different things have changed and chopped and, and, and are different. But the the reason we set out back in 2016 is still the animating reason today, and that's to empower a million people's lives. Yep. And water was obviously a clear thing for that because water is the basis of, of, of development pretty much anywhere. You can't build a society without having, you know, water for drinking, for cooking, for cleaning, for healthcare, all those types of things. So, so, so just for, for the listener, what is Brugooder? Yes. What do you sell? And then you can tell us what you do with the money once you've got it. Yes. But, but if anybody's listening, they say, I, I want to buy some of that. So tell yeah. us. So Brugger is, I think, best described as an impact beer brand. You know, we are a beer brand that when you buy our beer, you know that there will be a positive social outcome from it. So the main way we do that is effectively through a 100x promise. So for every pint of beer we sell, we contribute a, a you know a guaranteed amount to unlock 100 times that amount, so 100 pints of water on projects around the world with our charity partner, uh, Charity Water. But more lately, as we've expanded our portfolio, our drinks, you know, our customer base, we've been able to do some really cool stuff, which I think is pretty timely at the minute, and that's food bank access. Um, so our most popular beer um, is Twisted IPA, which works through the co-op to give people access to local pantries, which are fresh food access food banks. Okay. And we had had that idea back in 2020, and we didn't realize how big that would have been in, in 2022, 2023. So in a nutshell, it's a sort of business that exists, I guess, to sell beer, 
but to harness that social power of beer to make near and abroad lives better. So it's great beer for a great cause. And Do you want to work in the marketing team? Yeah, um, n- no thanks. <laughs> and, um, but, but tell the listeners where they can buy your product. Yeah, so um, in a few months you'll be able to buy it in a, a lot more different places, but you know, you've know got Co-op is probably our biggest um, retailer. It's national, um, up to I think 2,000 um, stores in the, in, wow. in, in the UK. You've got um, Morrison's uh, in Scotland, you've got Asda in Scotland, and without giving away too much of the, the news, you'll be able to find it in a lot more retailers in the coming months. Some big news coming, Alan? Lots of big news. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then from a, a, you know, a drinker, a Sorry, an on-trade point of view, you know, just stuff that I actually kind of have to pinch myself with. So our most recent um, draft install was at King Tut's, um, you know, King the Tuts. iconic music right, yeah. venue. Brilliant. One that I would have went to, like, loads of times when I was younger. Well, you know, I've been in there yes, many a night. Yeah, uh, partying the night away. Well, if you go back, you can you can drink our beer. And then the sub club, you know, just from a Glasgow point of view, yeah. like, I, you know, that's iconic in, in, in a different way. Uh, we've got, we were the first draft product in there for, for 20 years, which is awesome. And then there's wow. lots of different bars all around the place. Celentano's. I know this is focusing mainly on Glasgow, but if you were to, I'm sure, like you, like you can, you can drive up to Glen Eagles and we're the house logger of Glen Eagles. So I, d- I didn't know that. What's amazing, I, I think, about that is that effectively, you know, we can the demand from a customer point of view, not necessarily just a consumer point of view, but to to want to have impact as part of their offering, you know, exists in you know five-star hotels as much as it does in underground sort of, you know, dance music <laughs> venues, right? So yeah. there's yeah. definitely a, sw- a swell that that's happening. And I think when we talked about Brugger, and I think, you know, you're probably one of the first people I did actually chat to about, you know, we were so far ahead of our time, it was almost just naive, right? Like, yeah. you know, but now it's it's in demand. And I think that increasingly more consumers are going to expect it at a bar Expected on a fixture, and actually we've we've we haven't spent the past seven years sort of you know chasing some idle dream, which no, is really I, exciting. I would I would say, Alan, you are the perfect example of learning by doing. You know mm-hmm. what? Thank you. You didn't know what you didn't know at the time, but you just got on with it, and you learned by your mistakes, and you didn't make too many big ones, but the ones you did, right? Okay, we'll learn from that, and you've just you've you've got this brilliant story this brilliant message and it's just people people get behind you because you've got a good heart that's mm. what i would say so does it come in all forms you got it in draft now can bottle yeah, f- you know, single can, four pack, four forty yeah. mil. I mean, this is probably getting into the weeds of the craft beer drinkers who might be listening. But um, you bring any um, samples? It's a small and We're going to cut this short. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you know what? The amount of times I do that, I actually turn up in places, and the office just around the corner, um, and I, I turn up empty-handed. I mean, you should kick me out just <laughs> yeah. now. I mean, that's it's coming. That's well, been well, a, well, well, a bad well, guest. Right, that was that was very good. Thanks, Alan. Bring Stuart back on. <laughs> but yeah, you can get it in draft. I think, you know, the perfect execution of of some of our beers is is having it as a pint. And I was naive enough and, you know, all those things taken into consideration that what is really interesting about the next seven years and we can get on to talk about the, the big vision is that no one goes to the pub 
to do an act of charity. And that's what I've really, really learned. Sure. What they want to do is have a good time, catching up with friends, sharing stories, having jokes or whatever. But actually, if you're the brand that stands for their values, they'll choose you. You know, they won't buy the round to, to do the world yeah. a favor, but they'll, you know, just by you having that brand that stands for something, hopefully they can influence a better world from it. So understanding a wee bit, I've been obviously, I've been involved in the license trade for many, many yeah. years. Um, do you manufacture here, distribute yourself? So, so we have um, a, effectively a distributed brewing model. Um, most of our beer is brewed with the guys at Williams Brothers, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, massive partner for us. There's some in Aberdeenshire, there's some in Kent. And the idea is that, you know, we could build our own capacity, um, but there is enough spare capacity, we think, within right. the market yeah. to allow us to access world-class brewing facilities you know, world-class people, friends, collaborators, I think, you know, one of the things I've learned from a very early age living in Scotland is there's always people willing to collaborate with you, you know, oh, hard, yeah, hard yeah. and soft, whatever that looks like. Then we, you know, it's our recipes. We sell it to the, you know, in, in certain instances, we sell it direct to some of our biggest um, customers. You know, we work with wholesalers in the on-trade and, you know, if you're any anyway familiar with the challenges that the on-trade are, are facing at the minute, you know, that's increasingly difficult, but we want to, you know, persevere and keep, keep going. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's quite a journey. I mean, two years ago, there were only, well, sorry, in 2020, there were only two of us really working in the business. Um, by now, there's, you know, there's 14 and these are people coming from the likes of Heineken or Molson Coors. Right, or, interesting. And suddenly you realise yeah. that, you know, the stuff that I didn't think, you know, the, early, the learning by doing things, there's probably stuff I still can't learn by doing because <laughs> I, I kind of do them quite badly. Yeah. But when you've got a team of people who have, you know, are used to selling millions of pounds worth of beer, you suddenly go from, you know, three quarters of a million pound turnover in 2021 to four million pound this so, year, which is Alan, going to be great. Alan, tell us about B Corp because yes. it's something that's um, on my radar, but mm -hmm. I don't know too much about it. So tell the listeners this morning about B Corp and what it means to you. Yeah, so B Corp is effectively a third-party certifier of a range of different ethical and sustainable business practices. I don't know if that's a copy and paste off their website or not, <laughs> but that's how I understand it. And I think that it's a growing movement of businesses that want to do business in a better way for people, in a better way for the planet. And whilst it's quite small in a relative sense, there's probably maybe only 1,500, 2,000 businesses in the UK which are B Corp, there's probably five, six, seven thousand uh, in the rest of the world. They're really quite influential, and I think right. that you know you've, you're starting to get massive companies join that list, that roster. You know, whether it's Innocent Drinks, whether it's Tony's Chocolate Only, whether it's Ben and Jerry's. The consumer-facing element of that is that you know there's businesses out there that want to do the right thing, but also want to make. The profit, you know, when you when you talked about, um, you know, my purpose in business has always been something that I've, that I've felt emotionally as, as as giving back and doing something cool whilst doing that. You know, the, these are businesses which are, you know, in instances, you know, FTSE listed um, or or equivalent, um, but they want to do the right thing because they know that that is the right thing for business. So suddenly, doing good is good for business, but also doing business should be, you know, feed into that good. So we've been certified by them, and it's quite a, I guess a. I wouldn't say an exhaustive process, but it is definitely one of those things where, you know, you get the auditors in, right? And you right. sort of tell them that this is what you're doing, this is how you do it. And we've been certified since 2018. Um, we recertified again. You have to do it every three or four years. 
um, and we scored higher. But basically, they mark you against your community, your worker engagement, your environmental contribution, um, and your governance. And right. there's what the beautiful thing is, is that we score quite well on the community aspect because of the sort of design to give nature of our business. And we don't score badly on the other ones, but we don't score as well. So there's almost this self-reflection that happens when you're B Corp certified where you know the areas in which you can improve and okay. it gives you the stages to improve it. And we've been lucky enough to, for the past three years at least in a row, be recognised as a, one of their best of the world, best for the world companies in community. And that puts us alongside the likes of Patagonia and innocent and all these different wow. companies which is which, which is pinch yourself moment and you know little Brugger plucky little Brugger from you know based in Glasgow in Scotland can then have that sort of you know at least we share those values with big companies like that and I think that that is a real accelerator and an energizer you guys know more than anything that entrepreneurship is is energy you know any way you can get your energy the better and that definitely gets me Here's a big question on is big question on B Corp. Um, obviously, a, a lot of it is around your ESG. Yes, I think they're more and more um, waiting now, as they would say, looking at the uh, how uh, philanthropic you've been with the ownership of the business. Mm -hmm. Do the people who work in the business do they share in the equity? Um, yeah, so there are people. Yeah, definitely, we have a scheme to make sure that people, should there be any reward in the future, that 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 would make sense for them. But I think you know the business model is designed to give as it grows, which I think is is really interesting. I guess um, so that whether or not there's some sort of future event or not, you know, we make an impact all the way all the way up. Yeah. yeah. So Alan, knowing you as I do, mm -hmm. you've got to this point. Yeah. What's the next big thing? Because you've always got something up your sleeve. So <laughs> let's an announcement in two so weeks. <laughs> let's tell the listeners this morning. Come on, on the Go Radio Business Show. What's the What's the big scoop? Um, you'll have to wait probably seven oh, years. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, to be honest, we think our moment has kind of come in many ways. We're still modest in, in the ambition, but we think that the next seven years and starting from next month, you know, we want to sort of outline our vision for what the beer category looks like in, in seven years' time. And we think that starting as we have in Scotland and, and going out into the UK, we think we want to become a, a global beer brand wow. um, for sure. I think everything points to the fact that the Scottish consumer, let's just say, is not the ideal consumer for Brugger. Yeah. There's probably a, a few more of them in San Francisco or San Bernardino or somewhere in the west yeah. coast of Scotland. Yeah, right. Here's two things for me. Um, so the, the theme of this show is that we're here to try and help business. Yeah. So um, we are bringing on a gentleman who owns the most popular bar in, in Glasgow at the moment in a few weeks, Kevin, uh, who owns Wonder Bar yeah, yeah. And, his, and his partners. So if we can help, would you like us to get a font on the bar for you there? I mean, a, a listing in a place like that would be, you know, definitely worth coming in and speaking to you two about, for yes. sure. Oh, so it's worthwhile. Awesome. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Willie, yeah. Willie you'll get, you'll get your influence. commission. Willie has influence. <laughs> sure, That's you know, all I'm going to say. Right. So but let me let me just finish with a story, Tom. And you always ask a true story. A true about story. About when I first met Alan. Um, and it's your fault your okay, fault okay it's always my fault so you asked me many years ago to attend a three day entrepreneurial course at Strathclyde, at, at Strathclyde University you had the people from uh, Babson Babson College That's right okay uh, and I went there and I, obviously I'd never been a student in my life so I was there for three days and the first day I arrived I met Alan right right and I met the other 30 or 40 people on the course and it's fair to say that 
because I'd never been a student, I stuck out like a sore thumb. No, it's not So true. the pinstripe suit and the shirt and tie and all that, <laughs> like, so I went home and I said to my missus, listen, next two days here, I have to blend in. I have to look like a student, <laughs> right? This is true. So she went out and she assembled everything and she said to me, this is the way you need... I said, no, no, I know how to dress, right? So uh, I think I went the next day with my joggers on and my cell tap. Right? <laughs> no, you didn't. Anyway, she said to me, but here's the rest of your stuff. And she gave me a backpack, right? I'd never had a backpack <laughs> in my life. And I looked, right, I, I, honest to God, I put it on and I thought, what did I look like? <laughs> And she put all my stuff in the backpack, right. right? So when we went to have lunch, she says, no, I've packed your lunch as well and I've got all the stuff you'll fit right in. <laughs> this is true. He'll tell you. So we were a wee table. Was a, two white tables put together. There was about six or seven people sitting around it and me and Al found a place where we could get them. Right. And in my backpack was my lunch, which I... Right. So I opened up the backpack. Everybody has a backpack. And I took out my sandwiches, right? And I took out my drink, and she put a half bottle of Buckfast <laughs> in my bag. Student special. All right. And all these students looked around and I could see them looking, thinking, who is this? This guy's cool. This guy's cool. <laughs> right. That wasn't what they were well. thinking, Alan. Right. So, anyway, it wasn't the way that I remembered that Buckfast tasted. That must have been a vintage year that Susan bought me. So yeah, you got a number that's one. A, that's a true story. But I remember that day and I remember how popular the, the, the Alan story was with the people back then and it was just in its infancy then. And yeah. people were really interested and the student population was interested. So um, I really enjoyed those three days. Um, and it was quite good as well, you know, me challenging the guys for Babson, well, what did they know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can introduce them to the fine wine that is Buckfast, I'm sure they would have left yeah. Scotland there. Uh, but I'll remember my idea. Remember, we come up with one idea and me and you had a discussion about this. Yep. And my idea was at that time, John Swin, he was struggling with the schools, with the budgets and all that stuff. And it's only a few more being talking about for these weeks. And I says, why don't you let the headmasters run the budget? Mm. Right? <laughs> why don't you let them, why don't you give them an individual budget and see if they can do things better locally? But I think it would do like a lead balloon. <laughs> so, Alan, it's great to reconnect. It's great to catch up with the story. And as Willie said, we're here to help. So in your global domination, Willie's got contacts... I've got contacts, and um, Ballycastle's loss is Glasgow's gain, <laughs> yeah. and Scotland's very proud to have you. So good on you, son. Thank you very much. Brilliant story. Keep up the good work. Great to have you on. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into an organised digital archive. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. On the board you can't afford this week, Tom. Yes. Over the last few weeks, we've kind of had a recurring theme question that's been asked by people about when you're a startup or a medium-sized business, how important your mission and your vision is. Okay, right. So... Over to you. Well, um, it's it's something sometimes if you're a small business and you think, goodness, do I need to have this vision, mission? Is it a waste of my time? But, I mean, what I would say in, in growing my first business at Sports Division, 
our our kind of culture and our purpose was all about the small guy taking on the big guy, Willie. So it was David Goliath's story. And I made the most of that. Is that we were small, we're based in Scotland, where we're going to take over the UK and MDU got in our way. You know, we're very aggressive. And I think that really helped. It was it was clear to everybody in the company what we were trying to achieve and everybody got behind it. But I mean, you've you've grown a huge business. What do you think about it? It's interesting. If I go back to the start, I think, you know, to, to answer this is that first, as an entrepreneur, you need to think that you've got a product that someone would like to buy, whether that's a service or whether it's an object or whatever it may be. And I think in the early days for me, and, and this is a kind of light bulb moment, I think I mentioned this before, I got my inspiration from a guy, a barman in a pub. Uh-huh. Right? So when I was an engineer... I took a young apprentice into, into a pub. It was a summer, lovely summer's day. We're working up on the roof of Marks and Spencer's and I says, come on, I'll get you a pie for your lunch. And we walked across into this pub and I'd done my overalls that says Turner Refrigeration, where I served my time. And they had the young apprentice with me and I said to the barman, can I have two pies and we'll take two Cokes, please? I seen the barman staring at me, right? Staring at my overalls. Uh-huh. And he went away, he got his two pies and he brought his two Cokes. Now remember, it's about 75 degrees outside. And we went up with the two cold, and they were warm. And I said to the barman, excuse me, you know, can we get a couple of cold ones? And he said, no, no, they're warm because of you. <laughs> and I says, what do you mean? He says, well, for nine months of the year, I can phone up Turners and get an engineer to come all the time and fix my ice maker and fix my bottle cooler. See, in the summer, you're too busy in places like Marks and Spencer's and Asda. We can't get you, so it's your fault. So enjoy your Coke. <laughs> and you'll not believe it, Tom. I carried that with me when I went to the Middle East and I came back. Obviously, I then so went that in, stuck in your mind. Well, what happened was I went to then major on air conditioning. I actually moved away for refrigeration. But when I came back for the Middle East, I'm not kidding. I remembered what that guy said. And when I set up in business as a refrigeration company, I actually wrote on the side of my first van before the customer, specialist to the license trade. <laughs> right, I spelt I license wrong, right? right? Uh, and, uh, and that's what happened, that light bulb moment. I thought there was a, a niche, and then my mission was that I was going to set up a company that actually specialised to the license trade. And everybody in your business understood it. Absolutely. So we did the same thing, and, and then luckily over the next nine years... I know I've used this word before, but because of the service that we were selling, we thought we were better at it, that we needed saturation in the licence trade. Uh So there was 12,000 pubs in Scotland, 12,000 licences. I was in 11,500. Wow. I was the main supplier for all the major brewers. And then with the vision, you know, and and the mission, remembering that again, I then decided that I would, apart from selling services, that I should sell products. So what was the first thing I was going to sell? Bottle cooling cooling cabinets. Right. So I then looked all over Europe to see who was the best supplier. And there was a company down in England at the time called Osborne. But they kind of had a niche market and they wouldn't come and go with their prices. And it was, here's the product, if you want it, buy it. And I found this company in Holland called Gamco, who made a, 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 a superior product to Osborne. And, and from that day, that day changed my company, changed my life because when we were then, we then became the biggest seller of bottle cooling cabinets in Britain. Every refrigeration company in Britain combined were not selling the amount of cabinets that we were selling. Wow. So mission and vision is really important. Don't have a 25-year plan. Maybe have a five-year plan, but, but really stick to your mission. But 
I mean, that, I think that answers the question perfectly, Willie. It is important, and it's important that everybody in the company understands it and gets behind it, and then your customers get it. So for the people who have written in, we hope that that goes a long way to answering the question. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.